I've heard of places like Flint, Michigan, Six Nations of the Grand River. All across these lands, we know somewhere where someone can't drink the water. Why so many, and why have they gone without water so long? Our first water teaching comes from within our own mother. We literally live in water for nine months. One day, I will be an ancestor, and I want my descendants to know I use my voice so they can have a future. That's Autumn Pelche speaking to the United Nations in 2019. That speech and the water activism of this First Nations youth is the subject of a new documentary called The Water Walker. And Autumn Pelche is our guest today on the Akamemuk Podcast. Dance to wow and welcome to the Akamemuk Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere. Or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and community leaders. And today, as our Assembly of First Nations holds its fourth annual water summit, our guest is a youth leader in the fight for clean water. 16-year-old Autumn Pelche from the Wekwomekong First Nation on Manitoulin Island in Lake Huron. And I've said before in speeches that our children are not happy with us over our failure to meet even the modest environmental and climate change goals we've set. Autumn Pelche is one of those calling on us to all do better. Since she was eight years old, she has followed in the footsteps of her great aunt and mentor, the late Josephine Mandeman, a leading advocate for clean water. With 57 First Nations communities currently living under long-term boil water advisories, clearly more work needs to be done. And access to safe, clean water is more important than ever as the ongoing impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic highlight the uncertainty facing First Nations. So Autumn Pelche, a great big welcome to our Akamengma podcast. Hi. <laughs> so it's really, I'm really glad that you can join our, our Akamengma podcast, Autumn. And my first question to you is your great aunt, Josephine Mandeman. She was your mentor and she was your inspiration in your fight for clean water. And she passed on into the spirit world two years ago. Can you tell us about why she was so important to you? And what are some of the ways that her vision lives on through you? Well, she was always someone that was there with my mom because my mom is a single mother and has raised me by herself. And my Auntie Josephine was always someone who was there with her. So it was kind of like my mom and her raising me. And it was like almost like, well, I was always raised in a traditional way of life and traditional lifestyle, learning my traditional ways, my cultural beliefs, everything. That's all That's all I was taught. And then I, be, I kind of like began to learn like what, what she was doing. And she started talking to me about the water and what like everything that was going on. So I kind of had a little understanding and then I was actually attending a water ceremony in, in Serpent River First Nation, uh, which is mm-hmm. only an hour and a half away from my community on Manitoulin Island. And what happened there was I had to use the washroom. I'm eight years old and I have no idea what a boil water advisory is or like the issues that are kind of like happening in First Nations communities. All over the walls, it said, uh, boil water advisory, not for consumption. Do not drink the water. I asked my mom, like, what, what is this, what, what does all of this mean? Why can't we do any of this here? Like, like, what, what is all of this? And then she explained to me that, like, that, that, that the community that we were in had been on a boil water advisory for over 15 years. And it was a lot for me to understand, especially at the age of eight. I was able to comprehend it all eventually. And then the thought 
that came to me was that there were children that were my age and younger that had no idea what it was like to drink water from their tap or wash their hands or bathe. And they were dependent on like how dependent they were on bottled water. And so for me and seeing my Auntie Josephine already do that work was kind of like a pushing point for me and me knowing that she was, she was, she was an elder. She was clearly mm-hmm. an elder who was getting old and she was becoming more fragile and it was becoming more difficult for her to do her work. So I know I was only eight years old, but that was like my push to continue on her work. And like for me to see this work just kind of like die out or just get pushed under the carpet, like everything else, it would just, it would, it would just hurt for me. It would hurt me so much to see that happen. So Mm. yeah, that's my push to doing this work. And that's why she's a big part of why I do it. That's awesome. A great inspiration. And uh, we're, we're all inspired by the work Mm -hmm. you're doing too. So you're from Wiki on Manitoulin Island. And um, that's a special place. You know, it's beautiful water all around. What For you as an individual, what makes that a special place to you? And thinking out to other First Nations that you've seen across Canada, what do you want to see down in the future for them, maybe 15, 20, 25 years down the road? Well, first of all, my community is a really important place to me because that's kind of where my work started for me as well. Like, I, I pretty much grew up there. And, um, yeah, that's where I started doing my work at school when I was about eight years old, nine years old, I was writing speeches about the environment and the water um, because that's what I was being taught. And that's where I started public speaking. And so that's kind of like, it has a really like genuine and important meaning to me. And knowing that it's uh, the largest freshwater island in the world is kind of, it's kind of, um, it's special in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, I would just hate for my community to see my community have to go in a boil water advisory or lose their ability to drink water. So I don't really know how to explain the, like the, the connection I feel with it, but like, that's kind of how I would explain it. Yeah. It's home. And then yeah. that beautiful water there surrounding, it has a great impact. Yeah. What do you like? And you obviously you're saying you want to protect it for future. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's really, really powerful going forward. Now, when you look at the all the challenges with the environment, you know, it seems so overwhelming. You know, we have the Paris uh, Accord that all the countries of the world signed on to, you know, and we're trying to keep the temperatures from rising, you know, by the earth from rising over two degrees. Um, if you're talking to our listeners now, what are some simple things that can be done on a daily basis to help protect, preserve water? Well, I think some simple things that everyone can do is really creating awareness and advocating because that is a really, that's a really big part of the advocacy I do because I'm known as an activist and advocate. And my job is to make this issue aware, aware of because um, drinking water issues aren't really talked about. And especially in first nations communities in Canada and the United States. But um, yeah, I think creating awareness is a really big part of this and um, mentoring the youth because I feel that the youth have a, a much stronger voice than um, the older generation. Be- and I say that because you s- if you haven't seen in the past few years, um, it's, the, it's the youth generation that is standing up and using their voices. And for me, it's like if you see the message coming from someone who's my age or younger, that's when you know you're doing something wrong and something has to be done because the youth shouldn't have to be speaking up and using their voices. We shouldn't have to be speaking up on political issues or issues that we shouldn't even having have to be worrying about. So I think mentoring the youth because the youth are have do have a lot 
I have a stronger voice and I feel like it's more meaningful. It has a lot more meaning behind it. So for me, I think what you could do is just creating awareness, mentoring, and yeah. Well, that's, that's very powerful. In Canada, the fastest growing demographic in Canada is young First Nations men and women. So it's a powerful voice. And uh, like I mentioned earlier on, I have made statements like publicly that um, our children aren't happy with us. And mm-hmm. we're talking about the adults, both First Nations and non-First Nations adults, um, that we're, we're failing to meet even the modest environmental and climate change goals. So we all have to do more. So, um, power, and it's a powerful youth message. So mentoring the youth, getting the youth mobilized, powerful statement, no question. Part of your advocacy and part of your awareness creation, there's a very important documentary that's been released called the Water Walker Documentary. Now, why did you feel that was important to put that out now? And, and tell us a little bit about that, the making of it and the impact and uh, what you want to be achieved through that Water Walker Documentary. I feel like with the documentary that was created, it, it also does have a really large impact when it comes to um, advocacy, advocacy and getting the message out there because it's sharing this my story and why I'm doing it. And so with that, um, I'm pretty sure we were actually hoping to have people that were like kind of like inspired by that and like to know like the, like the exact message behind the work that I do. And yeah, that was pretty much hopefully to um, inspire people and kind of make them aware of the issue. But with that, it talks about a lot of the issues that are going on in Canada and it brings like awareness to it. And um, yeah, I don't remember the rest of the question, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the, the impact of the uh, documentary itself. Mm-hmm. Like, and of course you're starring in it. It shows all the advocacy you're doing uh, again, um, the important message you want to get that out and uh, the impact, you know, in your mind, like, why is it timely now? Yeah. And I think I would like, like, I would add on to that is that like First Nations issues in Canada aren't really like talked about and nobody really knows about them. And they're just kind of like, they're not looked at. Nobody, it's almost like nobody cares. It's like people don't want them to care just because we're Indigenous. And with that, I, I feel that racism and environmental racism, racism, systemic racism, it all comes in because Indigenous people in Canada are so looked down upon. And we have we have such a horrible, negative, false stereotype. And uh, this doc, the documentary really brings out um, a positive uh, feedback from all of that. And I talk about bullying and where that comes in is because even I'm, I'm currently living in Ottawa and my first year of moving here, um, I faced uh, racism and I was, it was my first time ever being stereotyped because of my race. Mm-hmm. And they asked me, what's your ethnicity? Like, where are you from? And I told them, well, I'm first nation from Canada. And the first thing that they asked me was, well, are your parents drug addicts? Are you poor? Do you live in a teepee? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> of course I felt like with that, I was, I was honestly shocked because it's almost like that's obvious now that that's a stereotype and that's obviously not true. Mm-hmm. And I felt ashamed to be who I was. And I st- like, I'm going to be completely honest. Like I still mm-hmm. sometimes feel ashamed to be first nation in my own school with people, my own age. And this is honestly, <laughs> it's a topic that gets me really emotional because it's, it should be, it's not, they treat you as if you're abnormal because of your race and, this documentary mm. really brings out um, um, that part of uh, my advocacy and um, that part of uh, raising awareness. So, yeah. yeah. No, you're a very strong person for doing mm-hmm. that. 
And uh, I always uh, try to lift up our young First Nations men and women because there's so much racism and, and our non-Indigenous relatives and brothers and sisters view us as less than or not worthy, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we have to constantly challenge that. So it's amazing that still in 2021 that our young First Nations men and women still face that in the school systems yeah. on reserve, off-reserve. Off reserve. So I just, I just encourage people to be strong, be proud of who you are, where you come from. And uh, that's that's what I always say. And that uh, we're smart, we're educated, we're beautiful. Uh, we have First Nations that are scientists and doctors and lawyers mm-hmm. and and leaders. And uh, that's how we see you. And that's the message we got to keep getting out there. So, thank you for your leadership and your courage. Yeah. You know, in challenging that. How do people access this documentary? Well, it's not um, exactly accessible to the public right now. It's still kind of like in the process of being released in festivals and. After um, it's released there, it will then be released to the public. Well, we'll try to get the links and then we'll try to to blast it out there because I took a look at it and it's a pretty powerful documentary. Mm -hmm. I think it's really well done and it's a strong message about water because water is life. And and, um, we're going to help with that. Now, as a young First Nations leader, I've always said you don't have to be elected to be a leader. You're a leader and you're leading our people. Thank you so much for that. You've traveled to the United Nations and spoke there, and you met with the Prime Minister and messages here in Canada. Tell us about some of those things. How did you feel going to the UN? And tell us about your experience when meeting with the Prime Minister. How did that make you feel? And what was your messages to the world and to leadership here in Canada? My my messages are really based on, uh, obviously, First Nations issues. And when I'm speaking at places like the World Economic Forum or the United Nations or speaking to the, to the Prime Minister, I'm in a position where I have so much power and I'm also in a position where I have like a lot of impact with what I'm saying because this is an international platform and mm-hmm. it's a really good feeling, but it's also a really scary feeling at the same time. Like I feel super accomplished and then at the same time, I'm really scared about what I'm going to say because everyone's going to hear this. So it's a really good feeling at the same time of me being really nervous, but I'm not really like, I don't get nervous speaking anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't, I wasn't nervous speaking at the United Nations or the World Economic Forum because what I really had to think about was that, wow, I really got my message um, about First Nations and their and the issues in Canada to an international platform, and I felt like in those moments I really felt like the work that I was doing paid off, and I felt very succeeded and proud to be um, representing my people, and um, yeah, it's just. Along with that is like, if you seen the news from last January about the World Economic Forum, it says that I was um, calling out the Canadian federal government. And that's because at the time, uh, Justin Trudeau had, well, it's still it's still a commitment, but um, he committed to solving all of the drinking water advisories in First Nations communities in Canada by 2020, March of 2021. And yeah, things are being done, and he is doing what he said he is doing, but a lot of them aren't solved, especially um, the ones that have been on it for over 15 years, over 20 years. And I'm going to be specific. Um, Niskanaga First Nation has been on one yep. for over 20 years, and um, it's still unsolved. And I just, like, in my opinion, it would just be so much easier to just solve the boil water advisory than having having to move them out of their own community and putting them in hotels. And it would be it would it would be so much more simple and a lot 
cheaper on terms of funding and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is like we don't have the funding, but you're doing things like that. And um, even on my, even on where I'm from, Manitoulin Island, there's a community, um, Jibossing First Nation, who's been on a boil water advisory for over 13 years. And they're even um, seeking help from the government and they're not getting the attention they need. I'm, yeah. 2021 is already here. March is next month. There's 57 long-term drinking water advisories currently, and five of them are in uh, Anishinaabek Nation, like where I kind of represent. And yeah. um, there's 43 in Ontario alone. So no, that's a that's a powerful message. Like in 2021, we still have long-term drinking water advisories. Nishkanaga was 25 years mm-hmm. waiting. You know, so they have that boil water advisory, and and so more needs to be done and i want to acknowledge you thank you for calling out leadership you know yeah. like we, in a rich country like canada having access to clean drinking drinking water potable water is a fundamental right so we're going to keep pushing and thanks to your leadership and your strength uh for helping us in that endeavor so i want to lift you up and hold you up for that now the issues you're tackling about uh getting clean drinking water for first nations people in canada is it's a it's a lot of weight you know, and, and making sure that water is uh, in your documentary, you make uh, the point that you can't drink oil and water is life, you know, and you can't eat money. You make that that statement in your in your mm-hmm. documentary. So there's a lot of uh, uh, good points you make. And that's a lot of weight to bring about, you know, environmental uh, protection for Mother Earth. And that's a, for a 16 year old. That's a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do for fun? You know, to take the pressure off. How do you how do you relax as Autumn Peltier with all this weight on you? Well, I mean, like my favorite thing to do is actually watch crime shows. I spend a lot of time watching crime shows. Crime <laughs> so, shows. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like, yeah, that's probably my relaxing is watching crime shows when I have the time. The break from school and the break from advocacy. You hang out with friends and you watch some some good crime shows on yeah. TV. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, Autumn, you're, you're, you know, just by... Um, being who you are, uh, you're providing hope for a lot of people and you're a leader unto yourself and you show such poise and strength and confidence. And as National Chief, I just want to acknowledge you and lift you up. And I always ask my guests this question on my, on my podcast, and it's one of hope. What gives you hope as a young First Nations person going forward? Hope. What gives you hope, Autumn? I think what gives me hope as a young First Nations person is probably, um, I don't, (laughs) I don't know how to explain it because honestly, being a a young First Nations person in Canada, it's honestly a little bit difficult to have hope. And that's what, like, on terms of explaining um, the stuff that I've experienced personally, it's hard to be proud of who you are. And it's, like I said, it, it shouldn't be like that. And a big part of my advocacy is actually empowering youth and making them be proud of who they are. And that's still a really difficult thing to do, especially for the, um, the children that are living in Northern Ontario communities, Northern first nation communities. And it's, it's a lot harder to um, feel empowered, especially in those types of conditions. And it's hard to like, I don't know how to really answer that question, but, um, I feel like my empowerment is really just the elders and people that we already have in place. And my Auntie Josephine is my empowerment and my mm-hmm. encouragement to keep going. And um, my work is actually a really big part of um, uh, what gives me hope is that seeing myself empower or encourage or inspire other youth 
it, that, that, that's what gives me courage. And that's what gives me hope is seeing that I'm able to do those types of things and help those types of people. And, um, yeah, <laughs> no, that, yeah. that, that's autumn. That's a great answer. That's a powerful answer. Empowering youth, your relatives, you know, empowering other young, young people, you know, and as well, listening to the elders and listening to their message and, and hanging on to them. That's basically what you're saying. And uh, I think that's a powerful message of hope. Be proud of who you are, where you come from. That's that's hope for our young people, to all of our listeners. So mm-hmm. you're doing that. So that that's a fantastic answer. Now, we have a water forum uh, coming up. The Assembly First Nations, our fourth annual water symposium. If we wanted to have a message to the participants and the people listening are attending that forum, what would your message be? Um, we're living in a first world country. We're considered a rich country. Mm-hmm. Um, and these First Nations communities, some of some First Nations, not all, but some First Nations communities are living in third world conditions. Mm-hmm. And we're not a third world country. And nobody should be treated like that. And that's where I, that's like I said, that's where I feel uh, racism and environmental racism, systemic racism that all comes in because and that's where the stereotypes come in because um, we're not we're down, we're so looked down upon and I feel like our people are always just like surviving and it's hard for them to even imagine or picture a future and I don't I actually don't advocate for only water and I I don't only talk about only water issues I talk about racism against indigenous people because I do have a very strong um, kind of like message with that because I see a lot of that and I find that it's really wrong. And I also speak about the missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada because that's a really big issue. And if I if I didn't mention or b- before, but like m- like what I want to do with my career is actually become um, a homicide detective, and that's because of the um, rates of ind- missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada because they're not talked about. You see documentaries, you see news about non-Native people all the time, but you never see women. You never see the Native women or the Native men that are missing and murdered. It's not talked about. And therefore, a lot of the murders are not even solved. So it's just, there's a lot of stuff that is wrong in Canada, especially on terms of how First Nations Indigenous people are treated in Canada. But Mm. not only Canada, again, it's North America too, so. Autumn, you've got a very, very bright future. I just want to acknowledge you and thank you so much for coming on the Akamemuk Podcast. Thank you. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemic podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations.